on the face of it, that could be a pretty shit situation and a massive hit to your kind of, I guess, ego and sense of self. But actually, like, yes, this feels right. This, this is the path. And fine, if this takes us 50 years, you know, we're going to be doing this for the rest of our lives. Again, it was that kind of clarity of this feels right. This aligns with who we are. This aligns with what we want to do. So it's like, yeah, it's tough right now. That's fine. It's hard work. I'm not, not afraid of that. It's when it's that struggle. It's when it, everything feels stressful. It just feels like it's a fight. This is the Limitless Athletes Podcast. I'm Tom Foxley, founder of Mindset Rx and your host. And I believe that to train your mindset, you must focus on meaning above outcomes. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to work as hard as I can. There is no past in the future. There's just this moment right here. If I did that, if I can get through that, like, come at me. Changing how I saw myself, like as a man, not just as, as an athlete. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay. That's part of the deal. It's how I responded. Today on the Limitless Athlete Podcast, you will be listening to a conversation that I just had with Simon Jeffries. Simon is a mindset coach with his business, The Natural Edge. And in a former life, Simon was in the UK Special Forces. Throughout this conversation, Simon takes us through his life and how he wound up joining the Royal Marines, then enrolling it and eventually successfully completing uh, selection for the Special Forces. Throughout this, he encounters many challenges, but what you'll notice in this is that suffering for him wasn't the same as suffering for other people. It wasn't as difficult as it had to be. My point in this is that I think it's because it was attached to meaning. He has this fundamental understanding of like, this is meaningful to me, and that ameliorates the suffering, and it just becomes discomfort. This is particularly evident when he talks about uh, his time in the military and then transferring to corporate life, and how it's still difficult, but it became suffering because there wasn't that meaning there for him. What we need to do and what you need to do if you're going to embrace this approach is to find what is meaningful to you, not to anyone else, but to you. And to do that, you need to iterate, find new challenges, try new things, because the challenge is learning to differentiate moving on because it's not authentic and moving on because you're struggling. Throughout the show, Simon and I also discuss type 2 fun, we discuss his upbringing, we discuss um, visualization and having a fixed goal and, and a long-term vision of who you can become. But now, let's get on with the show with Simon Jeffries. So let's start off with the obvious question. Who's your best mindset mentor ever? No, I'm joking. Um, let's start off with the obvious thing. Um, let's go for a, a quick bio of yourself for people who don't know you, please, mate. Uh, yes, so uh, kind of, I was about to use the word normal. There's no such thing, but the uh, the general path through childhood, school, college. Um, did some, went to uni, did some travelling, and then I joined the Royal Marines. After that, uh, joined the General Corps. Um, 
did some bits and pieces in there, some trips, and then I did selection for Special Forces Communicator. So that's uh, signals essentially attached to either SBS or SAS. Then did full selection for Special Forces and finished the rest of my career in the SBS. Did three tours of Afghan uh, throughout my military career. And after it was just under eight years, got to the point where essentially had done everything that I wanted to do, ticked all the boxes um, that I felt um, I needed to, I guess, and was looking to get more control back into my life, not being away so much, um, and wanted to leave in my early 30s as opposed to later on so that I could have a new career, however that looked. Um, had no idea how that would look, so sort of took that leap into the unknown. My partner at the time got a job in London, so we moved there. I got a job in a management consultancy. Thought, uh, you know, maybe the office thing's my next route. <laughs> Did two weeks and realised very quickly that that was definitely not my route. I still continued in that role for another couple of years, but that entire time I was sort of looking for what that next opportunity was, and that came in the form of business, um, online business specifically, because that appealed to me as a person being my own boss and having geographical freedom the whole sort of only having to work have your laptop to be able to work from anywhere and then that over the past um that was mid 2015 so over the last sort of seven years has been a, a real up and down journey of mistakes and lessons learned um you know at one point john who's my business partner who've been on this who i served in the military with Ended up living back at my parents, who were stone broke after our first business failed. So it's kind of mid-30s, stepbrother set up, um, shared a car, worked from my mum's dining room table. Um, and through all of this came T the Natural Edge came out of it, which is the company that we have now. And that in itself has been a journey of coaching various different things. We've done everything from um, sleep, nutrition, training, and mindset through to now, which is just focusing on mindset. Um, basically, because of everything that we learn or have seen through that coaching journey, combined with what really interests us, is that when people make the switch with their mindset, everything else becomes easier. So that's sort of zoned our focus down to, to what we do now and brings us up to present. Nice. Um, it's always strange to ask a question like this when I would consider you my mate as well as someone that I'm having on a podcast guest and a colleague and yeah. all that kind of stuff. What were you like as a kid? I was, yeah, that's a really good question. I would say I was very, I've always been pretty independent. Um, my mum always tells a story that when I was at Cub Scout camp, so what are you then? Probably like eight or something. You know, all the other kids would be ready to uh, leave and go home and I'll, I'll be quite happy just staying there carrying on nothing to say so I haven't got a bad home life I should point out it's not like I wanted to avoid going back um, but yeah I, I mean I grew up on a small dairy farm in the countryside so very much into the outdoors always always outdoors always into camping hunting fishing um, that kind of uh, lifestyle so yeah, pretty independent. I'd say quite naturally competitive. Um, so through sports, played rugby through school. I was always, you know, always. I was, I was never the best player skills-wise, but I always tried to be the fittest. Um, so I guess 
health and or, or fitness specifically has been a core part of my identity as well which i would say is definitely impacted by watching too many 80s action films we grew up watching like stallone and too many episode yeah, reruns of commando or predator um secretly recording them on vhs while my parents so i could watch them the next day um so yeah i think does that kind of answer i was trying to think of any other characters so pretty good you know happy childhoods definitely where did you learn that kind of um drive to be the best from or to, to push yourself to kind of be the fittest i think it's probably definitely comes from a hard work ethos from my parents so you know small farming um <clears throat> is incredibly hard you know you do it because you love it you definitely do do it for the money and especially when we were growing up through there was a foot and mouth crisis there was bs uh, bse you know looking back retrospectively I, I don't know how my parents um you know did what they did and we never had anything extravagant you know all our holidays were in um devon um but we didn't want for anything either you know my parents basically put myself and my sister first but you know my dad would be up at 4:30 every day milking the cows you wouldn't be in till um obviously you come in at periods of the day but you know wouldn't finish till 9 9 at night um you know even now when i see them you know, my dad's 70 72 um and my mum's not not quite that but not far behind and they're still you know lambing season's just about to come up they've still got 200 sheep they don't um have any cows anymore and for you know a month and a half they are up at all hours in like bitter cold um like that sleep deprivation it is hard um yeah i take completely take my hat off to them what what they do at that age is more than you know what a lot of people can do in their their 20s so i definitely did that side of things influenced me and then outside of that <clears throat> you know is it cultural influences you know like i said i, I joke about those films but it definitely resonated i think uh, from a very young age i wanted to join the military and that was very clear to me uh, i was very lucky i think it's a rare thing to know at that young and i'm talking sort of from five six years old i was joining the military um and quite quickly specifically the marines and i can't tell you where that came from but it was, it was so clear to me that that was the path and it probably ties into all of those things in my childhood the love of the outdoors um that kind of you know, being strong and fit really did appeal to me. Like I said, watching those movies, I'm like, yeah, that, you know, being that strong, fit guy really, um, I guess, imprinted on me. Um, so I think that perhaps combined with a a natural, maybe there's a natural competitive edge, because even at school, I was quite lucky. I mean, I was very lucky, had a group of friends, but even in an academic setting, you know, it was never in our group of friends you know, it, it was cool to be good at school, if you see what I mean, as opposed to the opposite. So, you know, wanting to get good grades, that like, there was competitivism in that as well as every other aspect. It wasn't, you know, I'd say it actually pervades or did pervade all areas of my life. It wasn't just in the narrow field of um, fitness or, or sport. It sounds like your parents really instilled that work ethic in you. That became like your norm. And it's obviously something that you, like maybe there's genetic component to it, but also there's the kind of, this is what you grew up around and this is what you're going to naturally model. It was, it was always, and it was devoid of pressure. It was always, which again, I'm very lucky in that it was never the result. It was always the effort. 
So as long as you've done your best, then that's fine. But always do your best. If you're going to do a job, do it to the best of your ability. I remember, this has just popped into my head, actually, this memory. In the Going back to the Cub Scouts again, at the end of every evening, you'd sweep the village hall and the, you'd, you know, three or four of you would take turns and sweep the village hall um, as the close down. And I was doing that one night and my, the parents wait at the back while kids are finishing. My mum came over and took room. She's like, if you're going to do it, you know, do it properly. <laughs> so I took over doing the sweeping. So I guess it was small. It was you know, those small little things that, that do, um, yeah, do imprint on you. One of the things that I've noticed firstly from hanging out with you, but also like doing a bit of prep for this, listening to a few podcasts that you're on, that kind of thing is you've seemingly, and even from this conversation so far, it seems like you had a very clear idea of success. Like something that was like instilled into you, whether it's military, whether it was becoming King's Badgeman in, in the Marines, um, whether it is going down the SF route, you've always had that. Um, and one of the things that I know you mentioned before, but it'd be useful, useful to touch on is the way you've used visualization. And I don't think it was a very kind of, you didn't, I don't think, I'd tell me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like you sat down, read it from a book and thought, this is how I'm going to, like, I didn't, didn't read Psycho-Cybernetics and thought this is how I'm going to visualize <laughs> yeah. my, my success. Um, but it was, it was in there. Um, firstly, how did you use that? And secondly, do you reckon you picked it up from anyone or do you reckon it was just something that was built in? Yeah, that's something I've thought about um, a little bit, especially since doing um, obviously going through the Mindset Rx course and, and and stuff with you. I I think that, no, I didn't. I can't, looking back, there are no, I can't consciously remember reading any books or seeing anything um, that talked specifically about visualisation and then employing it as a tool. So what I, the only thing I can describe it to is because I had, from whatever those unique combination of factors coming together to give me that really clear, I guess, vision or, or um, goal of joining the military, it then became, because it was so strong, uh, you know, and I do mean there was no other path. It was like, that is what I'm going to do. That it naturally, because obviously we all use visualization without even realizing, you know, realizing it you know we use self-talk we replay things in our head we imagine things we daydream so we naturally do that kind of stuff um and i think because i had such a strong um i guess insight or, or where i wanted what i wanted to do that naturally i would think about that a lot and so create a vision around it um and it, I, I guess it did become so when it became more of an active process the first time i can remember is like you said, the, the King's Badgeman. So when you go down for the Royal Marines, you do your three-day potential Royal Marines course, and then you get a date to start. And when you go down to do that, you get given a you get a copy of the Globe and Laurel, which is a magazine the Royal Marines have. It's a monthly publication, and each month, the previous month's troop that's passed out, the King's Badgeman, which is awarded to the all-round best recruit, has a little picture. In there, you know, so-and-so from Troop, whatever it was, is King's Badgeman. And when I saw that from that moment, that became to me, you know, I was like, that's what I'm going to shoot for. Um, you know, I'm going to, that is, that's what I'm going to, that's going to be my aim through training is to be the best all-round 
recruit, which ties back into that competitiveness. Um, and I didn't, it's not, it doesn't for me, well, I'll tell you another story in a minute where you can kind of, where it becomes, can become detrimental, but it didn't, it wasn't pressure. It's just, it naturally made sense. It's like, if I'm going to do this, then aiming to be the best within it. And if I hadn't made King's Badgeman, like, would it have been? I, I don't think, because my still the main aim was just to become a Royal Marine. That's almost just the icing on top of those, that foundational layer. Um, but it's a really, I've just found it so powerful when you do have that strong vision, that strong picture, it makes everything else easier because you've got something really clear to drive towards um what i've i guess i kind yeah i've learned more and more and especially what we focus on our coaching and i know you do as well it's you also have to find enjoyment in the process because if you don't and you're just looking you know if i just was looking to become the king's badgeman and, and putting all the focus on that and then like hating training and not finding any enjoyment through that process you just wouldn't i wouldn't have stuck it you know there's definitely joy in the process i think you have to be wary when so the one time when it's nearly strayed into that sort of the negative pressure side is when i went on selection for special forces because again it's something that i've been almost driving towards for my life up until that point i there was i was definitely putting a lot of pressure on myself and in between the hills phase where you're marching around Brecon and before you go to the jungle, you have two weeks where you do some range work in the UK as sort of prep and um, get a handle on the weapons that you're going to be using. And while we were doing a, some maneuvers doing that, um, I got a safety warning. And basically, so I was, you always have to be looking at the target as you squeeze the trigger, which makes sense. And as we were doing a break contract, so it's a very um, dynamic movement. I was firing down range and I turned my head to the right to shout to the guy to like, move back. And as I was turning my head, I squeezed off a round. So that was a safety violation. And you can only get two. We Basically, if I'd got another one, that would have been me off the course. And so I sort of had a bit of self-taught moment on my own. I think I was walking between buildings because you go in and you get the, the, the official warnings like you've had a warning for that. Um, and as I was leaving that talk and going back to the accommodation, I just had that realisation moment of like, why are you putting so much pressure? It's like, yes, this is a big thing for you, but just focus on each day. All you need to do is give your best each day and then not worry about it. Like the outcome will take care of itself. Either you're going to be good enough or you're not going to be good enough. And putting all this pressure on is actually going to make you perform worse. You're going into that sort of over arousal state. And it was a really clear, again, I can really clearly remember it. And it was like almost just lifted. And from that point on, I just went back to what I'd always done previously in life was just, just concentrate on the process. Um, mm. And as soon as I did that, it became much easier. It's obviously still very hard, but it just although you've got the end goal in mind, you can just bring yourself into the present, um, which as you know, is really powerful. Yeah. Well, you only had one thing to think about at that point. It wasn't like you're trying to force an outcome. It was just doing best in the moment. Um, yeah. It sounds like you had a, there was something that really resonated with you, like an ideal 
that was resonating um something around that being the best and obviously it that's why sf appealed to you and that's why the marines out of all the ways you could have gone into the military probably appealed to you like because that's how it's promoted um and it seems like there's that constant kind of driver that you aren't maybe understood maybe didn't understand do you know what that driver is do you know what the kind of the central driver to your uh, movements has been yeah i mean it's a, a, again this is kind of retrospective but even it's you know when we talk about success it's definitely it's so subjective uh, and something i've come to realize more as i've sort of got older and left the military that you know for me my values drove me towards the military as opposed to you know I had no interest in I don't know football or or whatever else it could be um those yeah so those central values of striving um to be the best it's really interesting I I don't think it's an internal metric that I judge myself by as opposed to and external so obviously external validation is nice for me it's not a big part of it and the reason i say that like even through growing up i'd never cared or even asked you know if my parents didn't come to the game to watch me or an athletics thing it never bothered me it was always it was the result was important to me not anyone else um like going back to selection the most fulfilling part of that process was not the badging ceremony um when you know you get your beret and everyone's around it was so the hardest part of that course is the jungle phase if you get through that it's it's likely that you'll pass but you don't know until you fly back to the uk not told but i was on the helicopter flying out of this so you're in under the canopy for um four weeks fully tactical and then once that's index you helicopter back to and the battle camp you're staying on. And I remember sitting very clearly sitting in that helicopter flying over the canopy and just having that moment of, you know, you did it, you got through the jungle phase. And I didn't know if I'd pass at that point, but it was almost, it was a real moment of contentment because even if I hadn't, I would have been very disappointed, but there was nothing I'd given everything that I could have done. There's not much else that I could have done. And obviously you make mistakes, but um and so that, and that was enough for me. Like, so it's always been an internal, it's my internal uh, metric of what I define that success to be, if that makes sense. Um, and as long as I've met my standards, then I'm happy with that. I'm satisfied. So it, to the drive, so the question is, where does that come from? Is it all those like combinations, seeing my parents, stuff like culture, environment I've soaked up? Is it genetically? I, I don't know. It's, it's the standards that I set myself that are the most important ones. I've never, I almost actually, I, and again, I've tried to get better with that. I've always been awkward with like praise around stuff. So there's probably a story mm. in itself, like, you know, growing up, whatever it is, I've never liked that kind of external congratulatory stuff. I've never, you know, birthdays and stuff. I don't like being in the center of like, I would quite happily not really do anything um, for it. I prefer, yeah, it's not something ironic since I do all the stuff on Instagram, but I guess, again, you're just pulling out yourself. There's not people around you. So yeah, I've never been very good at taking praise or, or compliments. Um, it's always been, 
if I'm happy, fine. Like I don't mm. need anyone else to define that for me. Yeah, which is like you said, it's strange when you do go into a a world where you do have to promote yourself, where you mm. do have to kind of step out there and say, "Hey, this is what I'm going to do." And I'm I'm sure, um, for example, CrossFit athletes deal with this and coaches, where like kind of the the path to success is to be in all ways a quiet professional just get get your head down do the work don't overthink it don't um kind of think too much of yourself don't spend too, like more energy than is necessary um promoting you you and bigging yourself up it's just kind of do the work be quiet do the work um and then to go into a world where you have to kind of do that is kind of um confronting yeah absolutely it's i, I struggled more you know i hated drama at school apps that was my worst lesson i hated it i just it's not not me at all um and so yes the you know the, but again like you was talking about is you know pushing into that discomfort and so actually for me that discomfort is standing in front of the camera or writing the post or you know it took me a while before i even put a picture on of the tna instagram account of, of me in it it was just sort of landscape stuff and bits in there so it's, it's been and now I'm quite comfortable doing that, those pieces to camera, but it's been a definite gradual inoculation of, um, yeah, progressively doing it more, more and more. How I've got to that point is not a natural um, trait. So one of the things that you definitely get very skilled at in the military is suffering and getting like and getting into some pretty uncomfortable situations and putting up with it essentially when you come onto civvy street that's a very different like it's not always the best tactic just to kind of grizz through it and like and just if something's difficult just to like kind of suck it up and get on with it um how have you approached the the theme of hard work and embracing hardship when you've kind of transitioned from the military into the natural edge and what you're doing now yeah it's you're right. It is. It's that understanding of when you. I think just hitting your head against a brick wall, and when you need to pivot or switch. And I think that comes from it's the the understanding the difference between struggle and suffering, and something that's hard and hard work. There's you know. The the job that I was doing in the city, say the consultancy, you know, well paid, good position, but it just created stress because it, it just always felt like it just grated against, I guess, who I was and my core identity. And so always felt like a struggle because I just wasn't invested in it. Whereas although there's been a lot of hard times for TE, like you know, going back to living at my parents, well, John and I both living there in our mid thirties broke when all your peer group is settling down, having families, you know, buying houses on the face of it, that could be a pretty shit situation and a massive hit to your kind of, I guess, ego and sense of self. But actually because we were on, and because at that point we just started teeing like, yes, this feels right. This, this is the path. And we didn't, you know, we're like, fine, if this takes us 50 years, you know, we're going to be doing this for the rest of our lives. Again, it was that kind of clarity of 
this feels right. This aligns with who we are. This aligns with what we want to do. So it's like, yeah, it's tough right now. That's fine. It's hard work. I'm not, not afraid of that. It's when it's that struggle. It's when it, everything feels stressful. It just feels like it's a fight. That's, I think, that differentiation is good to have an awareness around to understand. Um, so the more you can like align those actions with that, with who you are, um, and apply the hard work, that's I think the difference. Um, so I think yeah, taking those lessons from the from the military, just to throw one back at you, I actually think one of the the greatest traits that I see coming from the military and transitioning out into the civilian world is the no cuff too tough kind of mantra. Uh, and that idea that, that guys are just willing to give stuff a go and not worry about failing. I think, you know, so much in the military, you just get used to things going wrong all the time. Like, you know, from the outside, it can seem like it's quite a smooth operating machine, especially special forces. And it's just not stuff goes wrong all the time. The difference is, people are just willing to adapt it doesn't matter that things go wrong it's like fine we'll just make it work and i think if you can take that and apply it to the outside and not worry about failure or looking stupid which is hard because obviously it's evolution's tied into it and being kicked out of the tribe and all of that stuff um you know guys are going you know the stories of guys going for interviews that they've got no skills for but they just blag it basically they just go in and just willing to just to put themselves out there. You know, I've got a mate, Shimmy, who's from the military. He sometimes goes on interviews just for the crack of it. He's like, yeah, just going to have an interview for the fun. Just for, and he has no none of the skills. Go for like cybersecurity jobs when he's got, you know, he's just deep sea diving. He's got no IT skills or computer skills at all. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to have a chat. Just go and do it. It's good fun, isn't it? I'm like, Shimmy, most people, like ideas, interviews are hell for most people. Like you're doing it for a hobby. Um, but it's just... It is that, yeah, kind of no cuff too tough, just being willing to put yourself in there. And when you, it's like you're having that fun, isn't it? It's when you can embrace um, the process and not worry about failure or see it as something massively negative. It's, it's really powerful. Yeah. You're also building up such a tolerance for type two fun. Like for people who haven't heard the phrase, so type one fun is when something's fun in the moment. You're like, oh, this is fun. And type two is obviously when you're, think when you're doing it and you're like this isn't fun at all then you look back at it and you think that was fun um and failing is often one of those things like when you look back at your life and you recount the stories it's very rarely the moments where everything went to plan that you recall and if you're telling a story to anyone that's just a boring story like you you tell stories when they're interesting and what makes them interesting is that here was a challenge. This is how I initially failed. And this is how I overcame it. Yeah. Well, case in point, living back at home, sharing a car, arranging our uh, arranging our dates on dating apps to be at the same time and place because we had to share a car to get, to get there to go on dates. That's genuinely true. Um, Gets more difficult yeah, when you're heading right. back though, right? <laughs> well, no, we are gentlemen. We <laughs> return um yeah so it is it's uh, you're right you know yeah when we tell the stories those are the bits they're the interesting ones they're the the ones that contain the uh, the entertainment you know the the suffering the overcoming the adversity whatever it is um it's uh yeah i'd agree yeah other than 
the no calf too tough attitude what other useful skills did you develop in the military that you think the kind of the general world can apply yeah the biggest one which we've translated over to all the coaching we do and it's it's the thing that we get the most probably feedback on as being a real um game change or shift for people is we call it moving average so the the idea behind it is that you don't need progress sorry you don't need perfection to make progress all you need is an overall positive moving average so it's that coming back to um, concentrating on the process and just looking for the small wins so not dismissing things that you think are too small to make a difference because in actual fact it's the culmination of those that make the difference between people who find the success they're looking for and those that don't. If you're always looking for that perfect workout or to produce the perfect piece of work, you either spend far too long procrastinating around it and not actually taking action, or you just throw things out the window because you know you can't do that 60-minute workout that you planned. So instead of doing 30 minutes or changing it so you can, you know, adapting it to what you can do, you just throw it out the window because you throw that out the window, you figure, well, what's the point in eating well today? Cause I'm not going to do the workout. So that's gone. I might as well write that off. And then that can spill into two days or three days. And then you suddenly think, Oh, I'll get back on next week as opposed to always looking for those wins. And that's something, you know, John and I definitely did through our interest in mindset. Um, and it was almost sparked by it's Clive Woodward with a whole 1% who kind of coined that phrase before it became into the um, cycling world of just always looking for the 1% wins where you can find them. And military life is definitely so, there's so many variables, there's so many moving parts and things out of your control happening, but there are always tons of 1% that you can look to improve. And we definitely applied that mantra and, and it served us really well through our military careers. And it's translated across the coaching now. And when people embrace that ethos of moving average, of not looking for perfection, but just looking for the small wins each day, you know, that small decision of um, whether they're going to go for that 10-minute walk or not go for it or whatever it is, it really makes a big difference because you start creating consistency and that's when you make, make that progress. So now you've obviously moved into working wholly on mindset with, with people. What's that process look like for you? It's very obviously because we went through, well, I went through Mindset RX with you. Um, good plug. And so it's all, it's all, <laughs> yeah, good plug, which is brilliant. You know, that for me, you know, it was incredibly eye opening myself because I went <clears throat> coming from special forces, you know, I'd, you assume you have a strong mindset and then going into the city and experiencing, um, you know, more stress, things not, not going as well as they, they had done previously. Um, it realized, and it makes sense kind of retrospectively that, and, and Mindset Rx really highlighted this to me that I had a strong mindset, but in a narrow field, just because you've got a strong mindset in that sense or within the military, that doesn't mean it carries on to the rest of life. And actually, logically now look at it and like well, it's, you know, it smacks you in the face you can see it on day-to-day basis because there are guys that are brilliant in the working respects you know put them in afghan absolutely fine but then their family lives are falling apart the personal lives are falling apart 
So just because you can do that job, that does not mean you have a strong mindset in a well-rounded sense across all areas of life. And so mindset RX and really digging into um, or gaining clarity and, and perception on those areas where you know, you're not as strong. I definitely had a fixed mindset around relationship stuff, which I dove into. Um, and so the way that we teach now, it's almost like a combination of the or process that I've learned through you and Mindset RX, and then principles that we learn over the years through the other coaching of TNE, the other um, programs that we've we've run. There's a really strong um, ether, or we we sort of term it as a trinity. So as a triangle on on the left hand side, you've got mindset. On the right hand side, you've got lifestyle, and then on the bottom, you've got systems and habits. Uh, we've just seen the power because you know they can't divorce the mind and body. Although we don't teach any training or nutrition, we look or have um, simple changes that people can make to their lifestyle around circadian rhythm, around you know breathing and the basic physiology, um, the movement, exposure to the daily light, relationship screens, how they set their phone up, routines in the day. And an underpinning through it all of systems and habits, how to actually really form those strong routines to build that structure that creates freedom. So it's a kind of amalgamation of every, everything that we've learned over the years and then try to break it down into a really step-by-step process to make it as simple as possible for people to implement. Um, and treating all of it, as you do, like a skill, which is what, you know, there's just, apart from what you do, um, you know, what we do now, a few other people out there, who else is doing it? There's, mm. there's no coherent structured framework, like mindset type courses. It is just podcasts or books or odd bits of information. The example or analogy we like to use is you wouldn't read a diet book and expect to lose weight. And yet that's exactly how everyone approaches mindset. They listen to an odd podcast or read a book and expect to make long-term changes. And that passive consumption of information, just it doesn't work. It needs to become an active process. Yeah, I think previously you had to rely on a kind of a lot of luck to put you in the right situation to begin with and to give you the kind of the right starting mentality. And then you had to go into a variety of challenging experiences which would each like consecutively stress you and stress the limits of your mindset and then you'd have to grow and grow or basically finish it and then that would be your chances hence why you can look up to people who were sporting greats or people who were leaders and you kind of you maybe you had the chance of learning through them but now we're in the situation where you've got access to more information than ever before and you have this available to you but it's about finding a way to implement it into your own life and do the mental reps because like you said you can't you can't just read information you've got to rewire that neural structure you've got to do the reps do the sets like you've got to equally as important recover from it and that's what creates change not just you're not going to have you're not going to see a new idea and that becomes your reality you're going to have to reinforce that that pathway yeah completely completely agree um and it's that's the the power i think that's where the power comes from when you i guess it ties into the growth and fixed mindset 
thinking itself as a principle when you see it as a skill and something that you can work on as opposed to just something you have or don't have i think that's a common trap that people fall into they're just like well i just don't this is just who i am and that's that's it basically and that person can do it because that's who they are as opposed to what experiences have allowed that or what have they gone through to allow that person to be like that and can i replicate that and you know nine times out of ten yes you can in certain ways obviously we're all going to have different starting points but anyone can make massive changes if you just follow a good process and have that consistency yeah well it's a kind of it's a cliche point but all you see is the highlight reel like on yeah. on tv even like when you're watching sporting events it's like you see the highlight reel you see the highs and the lows and you see whether they either have it or they don't you don't see the sets and reps you don't see the fact that they are working with a sports psych or you don't see the fact that they are reading the whole time or meditating or whatever they are doing um you don't see the fact that they are banning themselves and setting hard limits on their phone use um because it's not the sexy stuff it's not the glamorous stuff and it's like yeah it's a lot more fun to say, Hey, look at this natural ability. Look at the genius, look at the sporting uh, like brilliance of this person. They've always had it since they're a kid as opposed to saying, yeah, they probably had that. And they did these trillions of steps along the way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, you've hit upon it there. It's the boring, not the sexy, isn't it? It's, Mm -hmm. it's, we're always looking and because we're constantly sold on it now, it's always, and it, because it taps into you know it's good marketing it taps into human psychology we always want that magical thing that is going to make the big change as opposed to which probably comes back to you find you know the people who always reach those great heights and whatever it is when you dig into the story it's there's a love in the process and with the love of the process you do the stuff that's boring, which is inevitable part of any journey. Um, there's an article by James Clear when he was talking, he was talking to an Olympic weightlifting coach and he said, What's, what do you see as the big difference between people who make it and people don't? If you, if you set aside genetics um, and, and some of those factors, you know, what's, what's the biggest differentiating uh, component? And he said, it's those that are willing to work through the boredom or can go through the boredom, you know, day in, day out, doing the repetitive, boring tasks that it was required to get to that high level in whatever it is that you're you're striving to. Um, and it's true, you know, build it or look back to build up selection, going out and, you know, just putting your Bergen on and I just find a really steep hill and stick a podcast on and walk up and down it for a few hours on a Saturday. Um, you know, when you could be going out and doing all those other things, just the boring stuff that no one wants to do. But if you can, if you can do it and actually still find a way to find satisfaction from it and in that process, that's, that's the real difference, I think. Yeah. And I think the important thing there is it's very easy to look around and see what other people are doing and assume that's what you should be doing too. But what other people, like very few other people are going to listen to this podcast and find the same meaning that you did in sticking a burger on your back and walking up and down a hill for three yeah. hours. Like, because it's shit. <laughs> yeah, it's shit unless you have that meaning, unless you've kind of, yeah. you found that resonance with, okay, this is, this, 
this taps into a fundamental part of who I am. Um, and it's the same whether I know you're a fan of Shane McConkey, for example. Very few people would want to stick skis on their feet and base jump off a cliff. Like, but for him, that was so meaningful probably a bit too meaningful as like you kind of you find out how it ends um but like he had that meaning and i think for for most people it's about trying new things experiencing that failure time and time and time again getting to kind of be at be adaptable to cuff it a few times until you find hey this is my thing this is the most meaningful thing for me and chances are it's very unlikely that that's what the people around you also find meaningful. Yeah, I think more so Shane McConkey. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, the, the documentary McConkey is worth a watch. Um, just if you just want to see someone who lives very authentically, um, yeah, just lives his life, I guess, on his terms. But I think more than the sort of, finding meaning with jumping off the cliff. It's, it's this it's injury highlight reel. Like how many people are going to go through the amount of broken bones that you had, torn ACL, like the pain, the recovery, the rehab. People aren't going to do that. You know, same with athletes. Again, you see the athlete reel. No one sees all the social stuff that they give up, that they sacrifice. You know, spending all your time training or recovering. And it has to become your life because otherwise you're not going to get to that top level. And so if you didn't have the deep... Uh, that that deep meaning um, wasn't didn't have that attached to it. You're never going to do it. And I think with all of this, it's it doesn't matter what that is to anyone. It's all subjective, and you don't. You know, these are all extreme examples. It's really just working out what it is for you on a day to day basis. And maybe that's just taking up a new hobby. I think people don't like to ask, or and often don't ask the deep questions about who they are and how they want their life to look because sometimes the answers that come up might mean questioning things they don't want to question around relationships that they're in jobs that they do whatever it is but it, i mean it's the whole easy life um hard choices easy life easy choices hard life if we're if we're always making the short-term choices for what we think is the easier option over the long term it's probably going to be far harder whereas if we can get through that discomfort in the short term, then our lives will probably be much more fulfilling and satisfying as a result of it. That's really easy to say. Again, when you're in the situation, it can be a lot harder, but you know, it comes back to the moving average. You don't have to make career shifts overnight or you know, end marriages overnight. Perhaps in the beginning, just small changes, um, like taking up a new hobby, whatever it is, just just something the way that you run your life. I don't know, just just little things that you can make. Look for those one percent to bring things more into alignment with who you are. That in itself will make a big change. Doesn't have to be, you know, cataclysmic shifts overnight. Mm. It's a. Um it's a threatening thing to do to challenge your own beliefs in that fashion. We just had um, Jonas Kaplan, who is a neuroscientist who focuses on the study of belief. Um, And 
he I can't remember the exact quote, but it was essentially that um, beliefs uh, entangled in the web of our lives or something along those ideas, meaning that you have a belief about this is the way I should live my life. And maybe that's conscious or unconscious, but that belief is tied into the things that you do every single day, the friends that you have, the relationships you have with your spouse, your health, um, your mentality, like everything is connected to that belief. So to truly see it and to think, okay, like this might not be serving me and to get rid of it could be sacrificing all of that stability that you've kind of, that you've, that you benefit from in some way, but the price that you pay, if you don't is even bigger because the price that you pay is essentially a life well lived. And you're going to get to that end point of, of that life and look back made, you know, there is no going back at that point. Although it's quite, I think people see it as a morbid exercise. Actually, I, I don't see death as a, you know, bad thing. You know, we've had this discussion before, you know, constantly shying away from it as we do in the Western culture doesn't help at all as opposed to just really embracing the fact that you don't know when that time's up, you know, you could walk out tomorrow and get hit by a car or whatever it is. Death, you know, we're all walking towards that at some point. Um, and so, you know, when you get there, you really want to look back and have had that fulfilling life that you know that satisfaction and found that happiness and found it through the process not waiting for these different milestones that we think you know whether that's buying a certain house or getting a certain promotion whatever it is it's like yes that you know that can be fulfilling and in, in no but it always lasts for a short while that's never long lasting and so if we're just putting our happiness off to those points and not finding fulfillment in the process which will never come like you said if those things are out of alignment, it's just not going to happen. Then we just waste so much of our, our lives. Um, yeah. You absolutely nailed it there. It's the, it's the things that will, well, inevitably when you look at those studies of people who are on the deathbeds, the things that they regret are not the things they did it's the things they didn't do. It's the things that they kind of said no to It's the things that they said they were too busy because of work, those kind of things. Um, one of the kind of aspects that, one of the things that reinforces this is two philosophies like Buddhism um, and that kind of Eastern culture that we kind of reject in the West at some point and Stoicism, the overlap between two of them are, are huge. Um, how do you apply a Stoic mentality? I think, you know, take, to take the title of the book, uh, the, the big ones that I take away from it is the obstacle is the way you know ryan holiday's classic classic book because i think it's it sums up so much of how to phrase this um or just hits like encompasses so much of the many of the mindset ideals if you can see every challenge or every event no matter what it is and how it turns out as something that just contributes to your process and will inform your growth, then nothing becomes insurmountable. And no matter what's happening, it can always be something to be seen, you know, from a positive angle. Um, obviously, straying too far, you know, it's not the fact that you're seeing, you know, that uber 
or over positive where you're seeing everything as, you know, everything's great. Obviously, we all know there's bad days and that in itself can be negative. But just seeing that no matter what's happening, because if we look back through our lives, most of the time, no matter what it is that's happened, even at the time, it seems really bad. The changes afterwards or where we've ended up wouldn't have happened if we'd not been through that. You know, everything up until this point has led us to where we are. You know, if I look at T&E, it's, there's loads of stuff we would have done differently and changed. But having said that, we wouldn't be where we are now without that. And we could be in an even worse position if perhaps we've made different choices. So trying to let, I think it helps to let go of that need or that want, the, the natural human desire for the crystal ball of needing to know the outcomes um, of whatever it is. And just seeing, just taking, just being in that moment and just taking it as part of the process, um, no matter what the obstacle is. So that's, that's definitely something that's massive. Um, and I think as well that the whole going back to the death, um, the, the, the talk around death, seeing it as something that we are all going to go through, that it is part of life as well. And having, you know, we've got our loved ones, giving them, the most that we can in the time but then when it's done being able to let go of that which again is it's an easy thing to say and, and hard to do um I, I think you know we've talked about it before and you see it written about stoicism it's not about letting all like becoming completely uber logical and letting go of all of your emotions um, I think it's actually getting more tuned with them and understanding where those emotions um, come from. I don't know what your, but yeah, I think that's yeah. I think the, where I stick. Yeah, like emotions, we wouldn't have evolved emotions if they didn't serve a purpose. So to try and dismiss them is to reject evolution, and it's also to reject reality. And both those things are kind of indisputable. Like they're, they're there for a reason. So they prove, they, they give you a useful tool to use, but they're not the only tool. And sometimes that we overweight our emotional state and sometimes we underweight it. It's like, I think the, the way to approach it is like, okay, this is just another, this is another data point that I can use. Like in the same way that, one of the ways that you can see if something is meaningful to you and that the suffering and the hardship that you're enduring is worthwhile is because it feels different. It feels kind of icky. I'm sure it felt icky when you're in like um in the corporate environment for those two weeks where you're just like, okay, this is tough, but it feels shit. And my mind is full of negative thoughts and my body is full of negative feelings and emotions. But put like put yourself in a different scenario put yourself like three pitches up on a multi-pitch climb and you're kind of you're pumped out of your mind and you're but you're it's something that is very very it feels different the hardship feels different um so there's the emotional state that there is there for a reason one thing i want to come back to is like you're talking about um kind of the obstacle is the way and there's this idea that looking back at it, it's obvious retrospectively, it's obvious that this was a good thing. It really, really served me. But those things are happening now 
yet we try and dismiss them. So it's about keeping that reference point of like, okay, this is in the words of Jocko Willink, good. Like this is happening. Like yeah. this is this is exactly what I needed right now. And that's one of the challenges. Yeah, that and that's where it's almost so this is where moving average comes back in. That is the constant that I always come back to. So when John and I whether concept, when things aren't going with business, whatever it is, we always just come back to this is just part of the process. This point in time is just this point in time. This is not the definition of good or bad. Like this, mm. this does not define the business as a whole. This doesn't define me as a whole. It is just simply a part of the process. And no matter how shit it feels, if we keep, if we just go back to the fundamentals, keep taking the action, and that's the other thing, actually taking action as opposed to being frozen. Um, and just staying in that suffering state, then you'll get through it and it will change. You know, it may change tomorrow, it may change in a week's time or whatever it is. So that's why I find moving average really powerful again. And that is what I come back to constantly when those feelings start to creep up is just part of the process. Just keep moving forward. Nice. I can't think of a better way to to wrap this up than right there. there um, thank you for for joining me mate it's a pleasure to speak to you always pleasure as always yep. where can people find out a little bit more about yourself follow your work find out about your coaching that kind of thing uh the easiest thing is just so instagram the natural edge or any social media um and the website's the natural edge.com that's probably the easiest one and you know you always welcome or welcome feedback um so if you want to drop a note or anything from this podcast or ask a question you know just send it through a dm or an email and always reply to them it's just great to hear people's perspective on on things we've talked about or you know, if there's other stuff that would be good to dive into people's you know what would be helpful i guess nice mate. nice well thank you so much pleasure thank you very much i'm tom foxley thank you for listening to the limitless athlete podcast if you're just listening to this and you haven't subscribed yet what are you waiting for um, there's going to be so many good podcasts coming up and if you're not subscribed you may miss out on them so we have athletes coming up we've got inspiring people coming up we've got coaches coming up we've got educators coming up and a lot more besides um, i'm going to really double down on this podcast it's my incentive and my goal for 2022 is to make this podcast as good as it possibly can be um, and that means even more high quality interviews and debriefs for you so make sure you subscribe and whilst you're at it, a five-star review and some kind words would be appreciated as well. If you're after more mindset training resources and tools, then head on over to mindsetrx.com or find us on Instagram to keep updated by searching for mindsetrx. That's mindsetrxd. Next week, I'm not sure who we'll be talking to right now, but we've got a few people lined up. It's just who we get to speak to next so have a good week enjoy training enjoy the open if you're participating and uh, embrace some hardship <laughs>